0: You're listening to Startup Acquisition Stories, a podcast featuring the stories of startup founders and buyers who have successfully gone through an acquisition process using Acquire.com, the world's number one startup acquisition marketplace. To date, Acquire.com has helped thousands of startups get acquired and facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. Here's your host, Andrew Gastecki.
1: All right, I'm here with Alan, the founder of Moxa, who recently got acquired. Alan, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, my pleasure. So, for those that may not know you, do you want to give a brief background introduction of yourself? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I
2: started my career mostly in, in finance. I was a investment banking analyst and worked in private equity for about four years, um, and then and then went to business school. But I think I quickly realized. Uh, during my time in banking and PE that um, I wanted to do something different. Um, and in my mind, that was something a little bit more entrepreneurial. So that was a big reason for, for going to business school to sort of meet new people, um, see if I could work on interesting startups and ideas. Um, and you know, the one interesting thing I think I did in between uh, my time in banking PE was I actually started a podcast. Uh this was back in twenty sixteen and uh it was called the Vampire Squid and it was basically detailing my time uh in banking, sort of like a share all, very transparent. Um, look into what is a day in the life of an investment banker. And um, that actually became a little bit of a hit. And uh, I think most wannabe investment bankers in college were sort of listening to the podcast at some point. Um, but that was uh, my sort of <laughs> my first foray into doing something a little bit different instead of like the traditional path that I was on. And I found a lot of uh, enjoyment and fulfillment through it. So, um, you know, went to business school, worked on a couple of startups with some friends, um, you know, learned a lot, realized that uh, I should actually go to an earlier stage company and, and get some more experience. So, um, yeah, spent some time at some earlier stage startups, then founded Moxa about a year and a half plus ago and, and recently sold it. So, uh, a nice. there yeah, I love yeah.
1: how you started a podcast about investment banking. I might have to check that out. Yeah. Um there's some uh some interesting stories that happen when you're pulling,
2: you know, twenty
1: hour days for weeks at a time. So <laughs> Oh gosh, I can only imagine. Well, hey, let's talk about um Boxa. I'd love to know. Um uh do you wanna just give an overview of the the problem it solved, what it do, um just a little bit about the product to start and then we go from
2: there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the initial idea for Moxa came about um, sort of in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you know, when I was at business school, I was getting acupuncture uh, from an acupuncturist uh, in Charlestown. And, uh, you know, I would see her on sort of a biweekly basis. But when the pandemic hit. Um, you know, there was obviously sort of close of business, um, social distancing, and what ended up happening was instead of being able to get my sort of scheduled acupuncture appointments, um, we started doing zoom sessions like this where uh, she would teach us how to do acupressure uh, on ourselves. And the basis like, for acupun- like, like,
1: like putting like
2: the I've never
1: gotten acupuncture, but like, yeah, so
2: like, brief overview of acupuncture is um, you know, there's acupoints on the body where. Uh, If you stimulate those points, they can help relieve common ailments like, you know, stress, headaches, coughs, etc. And when you go see an acupuncturist, um, they put needles in those points to help stimulate them. So if anyone's ever sort of like massaged their temples, um, you know, there's acupoints there whenever they're stressed or they have a headache. And the the thought behind acupressure is... Uh, it's very similar, but without the needles. So it's a little bit more safe. So, you know, we weren't putting in needles in ourselves, but uh, there would be certain points on your body where you could uh, massage those points for, you know, between 15, 30 seconds at a time. And uh, you could feel better from um, whatever specific ailment you were looking relief from.
1: Nice. I love these startups. So you, you previously were doing acupuncture, COVID hits, and then I assume you were kind of a light bulb moment. Hey, why yeah. don't we try to bring this online?
2: Yeah. And it was interesting because um, it, it was sort of towards the tail end of my last semester and I was looking for what to do next. Um, so, I had been in this mode of thinking of startup ideas, working on different projects, and uh, this was something a little bit more personal to me. Um, my sister is, uh, or she has a, a PhD in traditional Chinese medicine. So, um, you know, I, I've sort of grown up in a family of uh, more natural wellness. And I would say um, drugs or, you know, over the counter drugs or pharmaceutical drugs are sort of a last resort for us. And we tend to, Use things like natural therapies, like acupressure, or all, also even just food and diet to improve outcomes versus um, you know popping a, a popping a pill. And uh, you know, I'm always I think it's always shocking when I tell people this, but I can I can count on one hand the amount of times I've taken Tylenol or Advil, and people are just like whoa, because um, I have friends that you know take it almost on a weekly basis or whenever they drink or uh, whenever they have any sort of sort of ailment. So that sort of philosophy um had been something that uh, I had grown up with and I realized it wasn't really prevalent at least in in the US. Um so this was something to sort of push that mission a bit um hopefully get people a little bit healthier uh through more natural alternatives.
1: That is awesome. Cuz yeah, there's so many ailments and just I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but if there's a you know natural safer way of achieving the same results as opposed to taking medication, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. So kudos to you for building a company that, you know, actually really, really probably helped a lot of people, I assume. So my my next question is, um, uh, tell me about the moment when you found Product Market Fit. Like, obviously, you weren't the only person with this need or want. You created this. Uh, tell me about, like, when you had your first users, or did you have a moment you felt like you found Product Market Fit, and you're like, whoa, like, I'm on to something. New. Yeah, I think... Um, one of the moments were
2: when we talked to uh, this this ex lawyer that lived in SoCal, and he was um, sort of a, a fitness fanatic. Would be biking uh, all the time on weekends. Would do marathons, um, and was also sort of of the mindset of uh, natural wellness, um, sort of inversion to drugs. And he was one of the first users where we saw consistent usage over time, and someone who was retained. Uh, on a more consistent basis so as you know with most consumer apps or consumer mobile apps um, retention is by far the the most important thing um, to you know sort of not fill a leaky bucket Um, and one of the precursors of at least you know financial retention is usage retention Um, so if someone's consistently using your app um, they're more likely to stick around and continue using the product afterwards and he was sort of detailing uh, to us how his acupressure sessions um, were almost like transcendent. Uh, He had done meditation and uh, also did acupressure on top of the meditation that he was already incorporating into his daily life. Um, So it was really neat to hear sort of the way he describes the energy flow throughout his body, um, sort of how much better he felt uh, throughout the day. Um, Those were really nice stories. uh, And, you know, we were looking for more individuals similar to uh, this individual, um, you know, based on sort of his uh, past, his upbringing, uh, his interests. And those were one of the first moments where like, wow, we actually built something from scratch that, someone actually really loves and uses on a consistent basis, which was a, uh, a pretty cool experience.
1: Nice, I love how vividly you remember. I always say you never forget your first customer, because I don't know if that was your first, but... Uh, Not our
2: first. I mean, we had, like, a lot of um, friends and stuff, like, try it and... And do that but this was one of the ones that um you know we talked to uh I a multiple times and we we're like whoa this is uh feels like there's something here so
1: nice tell me about um how did you get your first customers what sort of like marketing strategies were you using um how did you get this thing off the ground yeah
2: um the first ones mostly were through organic social um so uh i had never used TikTok. uh my partners had never used it either until we started moxa but we had heard that you know TikTok was a great way to showcase um, and also educate people on interesting topics. I had thought that it was just dance videos for teenagers, um, but clearly uh, there was such a larger market there that I wasn't aware of. And I think the stat that sort of convinced me over was you know like fifty percent of people using TikTok were over the ages of I think twenty three or twenty five or something like that. Um, so then uh, because our product required a bit of education. We thought that it would be a good platform, uh, at least in short form video to teach people, uh, how app pressure works and some of the benefits of it. Um, and, you know, I think we were able to capture a little bit of the wave up from COVID and people downloading, uh, social media more and, and downloading TikTok more, but we had a few videos go viral, um, which helped, uh, get some demand and downloads for our app.
1: Nice. So you, you. Solved a problem that, you know, you personally experienced, you got customers, it sounded like you had a, a good go-to-market engine. Um, what made you um, decide to, to sell the business? Yeah,
2: so for Moxa and what we were doing around acupressure, I think there were a few lessons that we learned um, uh, throughout building the, the company. And I think one of them is that um, educating consumers and uh sort of hand holding them through the process and teaching them is uh not only very time consuming but also very expensive so we had gone through an accelerator and had a little bit of pre-seed funding um but what we realized was it was really tough to um have a positive ltv to CAC on peer paid advertising um and while we had i think pretty a pretty great um organic growth engine uh It was sort of tough to, um, you know, solely rely on the organic portion, especially since we had taken on some funding. Uh, We had to make other channels work, um, and it was kind of tough for us to make sort of the paid cap work. And I think what we also realized was uh, at least in the US um, people are used to their habits, and they are a little bit more resistant to change than we had initially thought. So even though in my mind, um, you know, everyone should be doing natural therapies or should be changing their lifestyle or behavior before they're taking pills. um, That's often not the case because pills are really effective um, that they work really fast and uh you feel it almost instantly um, whereas the side effects may come a little bit later whereas natural therapies um you know potentially less side effects but might take a little bit longer for them to immediately feel so throughout that journey was a bit tough and we realized that um, the u.s market was uh harder for us to educate and we realized the Asia market was actually a little bit more primed and better uh, suited for a product like ours. Um, that's sort of how we met our buyer through the Guard platform. Um, they were a Singaporean-based buyer and saw the potential for Moxa in Asia because people were generally sort of primed for this. Um, and given we're in the U.S., uh, we thought it might have been a little bit tough for us to also do stuff in Asia. Um, and you know, to be honest, we also experienced a, a bit of burnout. Um, we had been going sort of part-time on it for about three years, but full-time on it for about a year and a half. Um, and it was, it was, uh, we thought, you know, time to to pass on the reins to someone who could take it to the next level in a region that we thought um, could be better suited for a product like ours
1: that makes a ton of sense there's uh one of my favorite sayings in businesses one of the hardest things to do is to change consumer habits it's so hard it takes a lot of education and a lot of time to have a shift over towards you know a new paradigm of whatever sort of technology or service you're offering yeah um, but more on the acquisition um now i'm wondering okay so you found it sounds like the app has performed really well in one region you found a buyer in that region as well um how did you prepare for the acquisition how did you um Get ready to talk to potential buyers. Yeah. um,
2: So I think a few things. So I had worked in uh, finance before and had gone through a lot of deals and and structures and, you know, know what a data room needs to look like. What are the typical asks of uh, potential buyers, uh, granting them access to things. So a lot of it was um, making sure that we had sort of our books in order. Also making sure that we had um, simple analyses uh, that were customary for. A mobile app or a consumer mobile app like ours handy and ready so we weren't scrambling for um you know when they would ask for these types of things um that was mostly it um prepping like a few teaser docs um general docs financials uh you know sort of charts and and a deeper look into retention cohort retention all those things um were sort of generally prepped before uh we went on the platform since we knew a lot of buyers would, would ask for these types of uh, materials
1: that is correct yes yeah and that's something we stress a lot at acquirers be prepared before you go live on the marketplace because buyers do need this information to make a decision on if you're going to acquire your business or not and it exactly. just shows the level of professionalism and that preparation can really be the difference between a successful acquisition and no acquisition so uh Good job on that I guess my next question Thanks. would be um, what was your like impression of acquire like you you listed on acquire um, how many NDAs did you get like tell me about just kind of the overall you know experience of where you found the initial buyer yeah um, so I don't remember exactly
2: how many NDAs we got but at least a few dozen I'd say probably in the 30-ish 30 to 40-ish range um, and you know had conversations with about maybe 20 percent of them afterwards um, who were interested uh, and then, um, you know, deeper conversations with the, the buyer that we ultimately went with. And then we also had another buyer um, who was interested that we met outside of the platform, someone that we had been talking to beforehand, um, who was sort of a larger player who had raised a fund uh, solely looking to purchase Health and wellness uh, type products like ours. Um, so you know, ultimately it came down to sort of buyer that we went with, and, and also this this other buyer uh, that was off-platform. Um, we decided to go with the buyer on acquired because they were able to make uh, an all cash offer. Um, the other buyer wanted to do sort of a, a mix of stock and, and earnouts, um, which just made it a little bit more messy. And uh, we were looking for something a little bit more clean, uh, which is what we found um, with Byron of Wire. Um, The diligence process was uh, about a month. And then also uh, we also went to exclusivity with them for deeper diligence um, where we didn't talk to uh, any other buyers. Um, So I think from when we joined the platform, we got a few NDAs and conversations over a couple of weeks, did a bit more diligence with our current buyer, went to exclusivity with them. So I think all in all is around three months or so before we were able to sort of finish and, and close up. Um, the acquisition and then about uh, another month of transition for uh, moving all the software and pieces uh, over to the, the new buyer
1: nice so it sounds like a pretty smooth transaction you got all cash you found a buyer that was able to take what you built and grow it into a different part of the world um, yeah see you live on yeah, you we, were, we were pretty happy with it um, and I think uh, you know there's there's a lot of sort of
2: I think consumer mobile, products out there um you know, we weren't even sure uh what the process is going to be like but it was, it was fairly seamless you know from beginning to end
1: nice what would you say your favorite part about um uh, acquisition process was aside from, part, aside from the money hitting your bank account aside from uh, aside from closing
2: it um uh what's the favorite part um i mean i actually enjoyed sort of the diligence process which might seem a little masochistic to other people but Um, It just goes to show how much work we had done over the last few years and sort of the knowledge and the know-how and sort of explaining and sharing that to a buyer gave us a little bit of time to reflect on like, wow, we did a lot of things over, you know, the last couple of years where when you're in startup mode, um, as you know, uh, a lot of time it's just what fires are burning right now. How can I put them out? What's next? And There's not that much time to reflect. So that whole diligence process actually provided a bit of, um, reflection time for me and for the team, uh, into seeing what we had built and and sort of accomplished. Um, which was,
1: uh, you know, interestingly, a little bit therapeutic. That's awesome. So you have to go back and review just everything that you built and all the documentation and marketing materials. Yep. It's like Uh, why did
2: you make this decision why did you do this like what happened during this time period what was going on here and we're like wow it's like didn't didn't uh didn't do that as much while we were actually heads down building
1: that's awesome yeah it's it's always fun to look back and just see everything that you built especially when you're selling the business that's even the fun part i like how you frame due diligence where you know most people it's very tedious and you know almost it's not the funnest part of the acquisition. But I like how you framed it as you know you got to go back down memory lane in a way. Exactly. Um, I guess you know um, if you had just a few tips for people, other founders that might be looking to sell their startup on acquire, what what maybe tips would you give them? If you have maybe one or two or three. Um, I think if you're looking
2: to sell your business, um, one of the business uh, or one one of the most important things I think is to create. Uh, sort of an, an era of competition um, that your product is sort of sought after and there's multiple people interested. Um, because I think once that happens, it um, encourages potential buyers to be a little more serious, to be a little bit more um, fast in their response, to be a little bit more thorough, Um, When they know potentially there's uh, someone else who's also interested in your product. And I mean, that I think inherently is as much as building a good product that people want to buy, um, but also playing the game a little bit um, and uh, sort of making sure potential buyers are aware that, you know, you're not here to just sort of mess around. Um, You're serious about selling the business. There's other parties interested. Um, and you know, if you're interested, you're in, if you're not, you're out because you don't want to waste uh, their time and you don't want them to waste your time. Um, so I think that's probably pretty important to increase the speed of timeline of acquisition and, and actually get things done. Um, and then I guess the second thing is also really know that you want to sell. Cause I think there were some points when we were like, man, should we keep pushing on this, um, uh, or going down this angle as we're nearing and nearing closer to the end of the deal. Like, wow, we spent a decent amount of time working on this. Um, Sure, we're selling it to someone else, but it's almost like uh, having your your baby go a bit. And you just want to be sure that you're ready for that. and that you've sort of exhausted the things that you wanted to do for the business. And I think we mostly had done that. And I think it was the right decision for us. But even still, we still had some of those thoughts like, hey, maybe we should give it another another year to keep pushing and seeing what it looks like. Um, but the decision to sell, I think, should not come lightly. Uh, and, you know, I, I think there is sometimes potential um, seller's remorse here. So just make sure you really want to sell. And if you do, you know, make sure uh, you run a tight, tight ship, tight process.
1: Yeah, that's great advice on, on both parts. settling the part in terms of drawing the timeline and keeping buyers engaged and not letting them just drag out, you know, meetings for months and months and months. You want to run a yeah. tight process. We we call it a stage eight process or a deal schedule, which um. Mm. um so that's awesome. He did that. And then I agree. And also, if you're not committed to selling, buyers will step back. We'll see that as a huge red flag because the last thing, you know, just like when you're selling a business, the last thing you want to do is waste time on a buyer that's going to take too long, isn't going to yeah. actually buy. But it's also the same on the other side of the fence with the buyer who doesn't want to issue an LOI and go through due diligence and Then at the last minute, you know, you end up deciding not to sell. And that and that does happen. But yeah, if you go to sell. You know, I, I I really like that advice of you know make sure that you know you're confident in your decision the Reasoning behind it as well because it's one of the first questions I always have is why are you selling? Um, so yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Alan, congrats on, on the acquisition. I just have, um, uh, you know, a couple more questions. Sure, so you built an awesome company, uh, you, you scratched your own itch, um, found product market fit, sold it to someone in a seamless manner. It sounded like everything went fantastic, and now I'm just wondering what are you up to now? What's, what's next for you?
2: Yeah, so I mean uh sort of interestingly enough um i along with my partner we're, we're sort of looking at businesses to buy now
1: <laughs> um <yeah. laughs> i hear this so much you have no idea people will it, sell this on a buyer and then they turn into a buyer oh wait do do a lot of people do this on your platform yes
2: interesting yeah um i don't know it's uh like i i know that i want to continue being an operator um I sort of know how tough it is going from 0 to 1. Um so right now we're we're just looking to see if there's interesting businesses out there um that we would like to buy. And I think sort of the way we're approaching it um is yeah is is I don't know, it our unique style, but I think it originated from uh, my partner and we had been working on a few startup ideas and going through the process, but uh, he had been telling me about how his parents um, just sold their restaurant recently um, as retirees. And uh, you know, didn't he didn't obviously want to take it over? Uh, and they wanted to retire, and uh, they didn't necessarily really care for uh, maximizing necessarily the purchase price, but they wanted to see the business live on and, and grow. And um, I think that happens a lot, uh, especially as um, the older generation is retiring, and these happen a lot with with restaurants and um, you know, car washes or car dealerships or these types of things. Um, but we're seeing, you know. Are there other also software products that fit into this camp? And, you know, there definitely are a lot of software products that have been around for, you know, X number of years who are profitable, um, who are, uh, you know, owners that are looking to retire and want to see their legacy live on. And, uh, you know, over the last month or so, we've been looking at some of these businesses and sort of evaluating you know what makes sense for us personally um you know do we are we interested in, in what this business has to offer can we add value um and you know if we find a good deal i think i think we're going to jump on it but that's sort of where we are right now um who knows things might change uh but we we think there are a lot of really interesting small businesses out there um who we'd love to see continue living on i love it
1: you're speaking my language yeah I think- I I hope you go down that path because if you built a business from nothing and you have that operator experience, that scrappy, you know, how do we get the first customers? You know, how do we know we have product market fit and it's so much easier to identify those things when you built a business in my opinion. So yeah, I'm rooting for you, Alan. And uh, I hope maybe I'll bring you back on this podcast after you've fired a few things. Hopefully. Yeah. We'd love to, we'd love to be back on anytime. Well, Alan, if um, people want to hear more about your story or just, um, reach out to where can they find you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um... um, Twitter is probably the
2: easiest or LinkedIn. My name is Alan Lee, A-L-A-N-L-I. Um, on Twitter, on am Alan Lee Berkeley, A-L-A-N-L-I-B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y. I know.
1: I'll add that to the show notes. But Alan, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast and congrats again on the acquisition. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks for creating an awesome platform and uh, doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Cheers, man. See ya.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Startup Acquisition Stories podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to like and follow on your preferred channel. If you know a friend or colleague that's thinking about selling their startup and don't know where to start, please share it with them. For more information on Acquire.com and how we can help you start conversations with serious buyers with acquisition targets ranging from 50,000 up to 50 million or more, check us out at Acquire.com. We'll see you next time.